uh, fill in and you, you don't get seen up on the stage. And so uh, thank you all for everybody who serves here. I'm reminded when I look out and see so many different faces of people who, who serve and do so many things here. And um, it truly is, you know, I've told you before, people ask me, you know, hey, how are things going at church? And and I just try to tell them about about you and, and about the, the people that are here and the different folks that are involved and, and so on. And so, uh, so thank you so much for that. You know, I mentioned earlier, you know, maybe you've had a, a tough week and I, I, I get some stories throughout the week. I, I run into people, I, I talk with you, I get an email, you know, a Facebook message, whatever. And, and I know sometimes the weeks are, are tough and, and, and certain, certain things you never expected. And, Stuff that you don't know how to deal with. You know, I think that's, as I get older, I was talking with a friend the other day, as I get older, I keep thinking that life is going to make much more sense. You know, it's just, boy, you, know, you figure it all out, you know, and, and some of you, just so you know, you appear to have it all figured out. You know, you really do. I mean, you just, you, it, it appears that you've got it all straight, you know, and, 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 and many of you, you know, you've lived now for, for a while and, and it just, boy, you got it all settled, right? You know, you just, everything is good. And, and unfortunately, as you well know, you're just faking it, right? I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. I mean, everybody's just faking it. Oh, I'm good. You know, how you doing? And, and so this morning, I really do, I really do hope and, and pray that as we talk about a church that had the appearance of being alive but was dead, I really hope that we will we will look at ourselves not just as a church, although we need to be vigilant about that, understand that, but also as individuals to say, Lord, is there something today very specifically that you want to speak to me about so that this week when I encounter things that I'm not anticipating, when, when life throws something at me, that Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I will be able to endure... I will be able to, to persevere. I will be able to stand in faith. Even when I feel like crumbling, I'll be able to stand in faith knowing that you are, you are taking care of me. And so that's my prayer that we will see the Lord strengthen us this morning as a body of believers, as a church, but also individually that we will see that as well. So let me pray for us. And then we're going to get into God's word. We're going to be in the book of Revelation again this morning, looking at a church that Jesus had some very specific and very alarming words to. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we certainly are grateful to be here. We thank you again for Nathan and for his baptism this morning. Lord, we pray your blessings on his life. And, and Lord, not blessings uh, in the sense that we often think of, in just an American sense of financial blessings and so on. The Lord, we know that you've promised to take care of our needs, but God, in, in, a, in a spiritual sense, we pray that you would bring blessings to him, that he would know and, and experience the power of your Holy Spirit and, and your, your filling each and every day, that the confidence in his salvation would continue to grow, and that, Lord, you would unfold the steps each day, the good works that you have prepared for him ahead of time, that he would walk in those, as your word says. And Lord, for all of us this morning, we pray that in the next few moments that we would choose to lay down our burdens, that we would choose to focus not on what I have to say, but Lord, what you're speaking through your word. And so God, we do pray that it would speak very loudly and very clearly to us this morning. Lord, at, at Elm Grove, may it speak to us as a church, as leaders in the church, as, as folks who attend and serve, and Lord, as individuals, may it speak to us whether this is our home church or not. We thank you, Lord, you have a word for us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Not long ago, we, we had a tree uh, that we cut that we had cut down in the backyard of the parsonage across the street, and that tree had been there, I'm sure, for a long, long time. If you're if you're looking across, there's a there's a shed kind of on the right side as you look across, and right in front of that there was a tree, and 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 uh, Brother Todd years ago had had put a, a a swing in for his kids when they were much younger, and so when, when we moved here and my kids saw that, oh man, you know they that swing was was such a big deal, and especially for my younger two for Nora and for Duke and boy they just had such a big time and they would swing out and they'd try to touch the shed you know with their feet and and then they got to where they they were too too tall to really to swing on it much and so they would hang on it and they would pull themselves up as best they could and so it's you know this little cannonball looking thing on the end of the rope and and that's what they they would do and you know, from a distance, that tree, if you were looking at it from across the street, I mean, everything really looked good with the tree. I mean, it was fine. You know, it's got a swing and you see the kids and everything's fine. The problem was that as you got closer to the tree, you realize there's something wrong with that tree. <laughs> that tree ain't right. Because half the tree had signs of life and most of the tree had signs of absolute death. And the closer you got to it, the more you realize there's a limb that was about this big around that's somehow precariously hanging in some other dead limbs way up there. And people would, would visit and they'd say, oh man, you gotta, you gotta do something about that tree. Well, the kids like the, the swing. I mean, everything's fine. You know, it's not going to fall out of there or anything like that, you know. And Oh no, you gotta do something about it. So the tree was special. We didn't want to do anything about the tree because the kids, you know, and they had the swing and it was, you know, it was, it was, it was fun for them and special and sentimental and nostalgic. You know what I'm talking about. Stuff that you don't want to tear down. Stuff you don't want to cut out. But finally, as the tree began to drop more and more limbs, it, it, it really became obvious to me that finally I was going to have to do the responsible thing and submit to the tree being cut down. And so uh, it, it, was a, it was a traumatic day, I'll be honest with you, when the tree had to come down. And, and you know, I, I don't express a lot of my sentimentality, but of course, as a dad whose kids are, as, as many of you experience, are growing older and you, you know those days are gone, the little, the little swing, you know, it's, man, that's not coming back. And and so now, of course, it's really not coming back. The tree's gone, but, but we kept the swing, by the way. We still have the swing. You know, I, I'm just, uh, we'll, we'll maybe, you know, have it bronzed or whatever you do, you know, with, a, with an old swing that your kids were on. But, but, you know, it was, a, it was a tough day, but it was a necessary day. It was, it was a day where we realized, you know what, from a distance, this thing looked fine. But you get up on it and you start to, to examine it a little closer and you look up and you see, well, there's nothing alive in this thing. I mean, literally, it's all dead. And, and on the inside, when you, when you began to look at it, you, you could put your finger into different spots that you really, it's not supposed to on a tree, be able to put your finger all the way, you know, that far and reach a hand in there. And inside out, it was dead and it was decaying. It was a special tree, but it, it certainly needed to go. It was dead, even though from the outside it looked alive. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus addresses a church. It was just like that tree. From a distance, everything looked great. But you realize Jesus doesn't view us from a distance. You know, the song, I guess it was Bette Midler, you know, God is watching us from a distance. Uh, that's absolute garbage. You may like that song because it's kind of a, you know, whatever emotional. It's garbage, though. God is not watching us from a distance. He's not He's not what the, the deist would say is the, the clockmaker God, that he just sets everything up and he just sits back and he lets it run. God is intricately involved in every detail of our lives. He is watching us with us very closely. Right up with us. He's not looking at the tree from across the road saying, well, it looks fine to me. 
He's right there and knows every detail about it. And he knew every detail about this particular church that we'll see this morning. And he's got some very alarming words for them. This series that we're in, this is the eighth message in a series of nine. Just so you know, uh, in two weeks, we will finish, actually, I guess in three weeks, three weeks from today, we will finish this series. Number nine will come up on uh, on July 30th. In between, you'll have the opportunity next week uh, to hear from an old friend to many of you. Jim Simmons will be here uh, next week. Uh, we will be out of town. I try not to surprise you and all of a sudden, hey, here's a guest speaker. Uh, but I do, I really do hope and pray that you will come uh, hear from, from God through Jim what he has to say. And many of you will enjoy getting to see him again. He has been uh, serving as interim pastor at North Fork Baptist Church down around the Perrier area. And so Jim will be here next week. And if you've never if you've never heard Jim preach, he is a, he's a, a gregarious, exciting, up and down the aisles. He's kind of all over the place kind of guy. And he's and has, has a tremendous heart for this church, loves this church. Every time we get the chance to get together, he remembers his time as the interim pastor before I came here. And all those people at Elmgrad, I love those people and so on. Don't expect him to remember your name, so introduce yourself. I've learned that about Jim. He'll just call you brother or friend or whatever if he doesn't know your name. But but just just so you know, Jim will be here next week. And then... The following week, the 23rd, we'll have the opportunity to get some missions reports. Erin uh, McClure, who, of course, she went on a mission trip uh, back on spring break. She'll be presenting some of, of, of her uh, stories and so on, and, and, and also our youth ministry that recently went on a, on a trip. We're going to put that all on the same day. And so then we'll finish this series on the 30th. And just as a little bit of a preview, beginning August 5th, uh, we will begin a series uh, that I think, based upon what I have seen in the lives of many people, both inside and outside our church, just what the Lord has really put on my heart recently, and I've just interacted with so many folks who seem to come back uh, to the same thing. Uh, we're going to be we're going to begin a series called "When Life Doesn't Make Sense," and and that's that's where we're going to be, and, and it's on the Book of Job, uh, forty two chapters of life not making sense, and uh, and yet God's still being faithful, and so. That's what we'll look at beginning August 5th. So anyway, this series will we'll finish up pretty soon. Where we've been recently in this series about the church and what does Jesus want the church to do and so on and so forth and, and how should it operate, we've been looking at the churches that Jesus spoke to in the book of Revelation. And, and they are, in a sense, representative, though they're very specific about places back then. They're representative. The way that you apply this to both your church and your life is if the shoe fits, wear it. That's kind of the way Jesus meant this to be. So as we read this this morning, if you see in your life, if you see areas of our church that are kind of like that tree, that from the outside looking in look pretty good, but when you get up closer, I'm not so sure. The point is this morning, if the shoe fits, throw that thing on and wear it around for a while. You understand? And so that's what we'll be looking at. So if you look in Revelation chapter 3, if you want to get there with me, Revelation chapter 3, the last two weeks we have looked at two different churches, one church, the church at Ephesus. Jesus said, look, I know you've got some great things going for you, but you're really just kind of going through the motions. You have, he says, lost your first love. You no longer love God and love people the way that you once did. And so those, those, the first and second greatest commandments, you're kind of letting that slip. And so everything is kind of mechanical and you're not doing things out of love as a church. And so that's what we looked at a couple weeks ago. Last week, we saw two churches, the church at Thyatira and the church at Pergamum. Who, who, although things looked okay in certain spots, they were allowing worldliness to kind of creep in. They were becoming too much like the world. And so Jesus gave them some instructions. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 3, the first seven verses. Jesus addresses the church at, at a town called Sardis. Look with me at, at what he says here, verse 1 of chapter 3. 
to the angel of the church of Sardis, write, the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, now this is Jesus, of course, referring to himself, and he's got control of the seven stars, represent the seven churches and so on. He's the one in charge. I know your works. So again, he's, he understands every single little thing. I know your works. I know what you're doing. And he says, you have a reputation for being alive. Now stop there for just a second. You have a reputation for being alive. This is what the tree looks like from the outside. Man, across the street, it, what's wrong with it? It looks, it looks just fine. Now the town of Sardis, just so you know, was historically a great, great city. Uh, it, it was old, it was long established, it was the capital of a very wealthy kingdom, and so it was a wealthy town. In fact, it was situated, there was a valley around it, and it was up on a hill in amongst a series of hills, and it sat really in a very fortified position up on a hill. If you know about old-time warfare back then, the higher you were, of course, the better off you were. Not much has changed in a lot of time, in a lot of things with warfare. Back then, they didn't have bombs and stuff they could go in and destroy, so, so that city situated up on the hill was very very secure, at least they thought. On three sides, they had steep walls, essentially, from the hill that were, were kind of smooth, and it was only really accessible from one side of that particular hill, and so they felt very, very confident. 15 feet, 1,500 feet, rather, above the valley is where they sat, so if you're going to attack them, you got one main route, or you got these little cliffs that you have to try to scale, and so they had a, a strong sense of security that they would not be attacked, that things were fine, that, that everything was going exactly the way it, it should. Now, it made it a little bit tough to expand their city, and so over time, they began to go down the, the hill just a little bit, and they'd set up some, some, some encampments and that kind of thing, and a little, kind of a mini Sardis grew up around there, but they would always use that fortress up top to go to if, if there was any kind of threat. And so uh, twice they had, they had been attacked, uh, and, and ultimately twice they were defeated because they did not watch the other three sides. They only assumed that somebody could come up this one main road and that's it. And so they didn't even put watchmen on the other three sides. And twice it happened that an attacking army stealthily scaled one or more of those hills and attacked and took the city. And as we'll see, uh, it looks like the church kind of took on the qualities of the town. That they became a place that assumed everything was going fine. There was no way they could falter. And unfortunately, that's what they did. You have a reputation, he says, for being alive. Looked like everything was great. Everything's wonderful. From the outside looking in, I mean, the church appeared busy. Probably the parking lot was full on a regular basis. I mean, there's lots of folks there. Man, during the week, the building's being used quite a bit. There's stuff going on. There's people getting together and so on. And nice building probably because of their wealth. And boy, a fancy sign out front. And all the things that would look like driving by the church. Man, that looks like a good church. I was traveling not long ago. I believe it was to... Uh, to Carlisle County. Some of you are from Carlisle County. I didn't have a clue where, there you go, because I didn't have a clue where Carlisle County was. You know, it's Bardwell, I think is where that is. I don't know. But I was driving in my map, you know, app. Of course, it took me, you know, down the road there. We're heading toward Carlisle County High School. And on the left, there's this huge church. I don't know if you've seen this or not. Maybe somebody traveled through there. And you know what my first thought is? Man, that's an incredible church. You ever done that? Man, I, that church is, I mean, boy, it was, the lawn was just incredible. The lines cut perfectly in it. I mean, they, you know, they probably got a turf roller out there or something and did all that stuff. I mean, it looked, I don't know anything about the church. I can't say anything yay or nay. But what we often judge a church on is its appearance from the outside looking in, right? Well, it looks, hey, the parking lot's fairly full. 
nice building they take care of, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. And not only that, not only from the outside looking in, but from the inside looking out, these folks were probably pretty proud of their church. I mean, they, they probably said, well, you know, we got quite a few folks here. I mean, we got some money in this church. Boy, I tell you what, things are going well. I mean, got a lot of nice things, probably not much debt. Well, things are, are going well. We're doing some churchy type things. You know, we'll have a fellowship meal and we'll have some Bible studies and whatever. And, and you know, not much is really rocking the boat. I mean, everybody seems to at least pretend like they're getting along. And, and you know, it's, it's going okay. And everything seems fine. And we're doing and we're saying and supporting all the right things we think. And so from the outside looking in and from the inside looking out, the church at Sardis had a reputation of being alive. And what church would not want that reputation? Well, my church, they're, just, you know, they're dead. You know, that's not a good reputation, right? Everybody wants their church to appear to be alive. And then Jesus drops the hammer. Here's what he says. But, he says at the end of verse 1, what? What do the words say? You are dead. You have a reputation for being alive, but... And he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't even explain the reputation, does he? But you are dead. What? But Jesus, a parking lot's full. I mean, the building's paid for, man. I mean, you know, look, we, we, you know, we've, we've done some decorations, and I mean, it all looks fine, doesn't it? And Jesus says, I know your reputation. I know what you think. I know what everybody else thinks. Everything's going great, and you're alive. But, he says very plainly, you are dead. It's not Princess Bride mostly dead. For those of you that have seen the Princess Bride, this church was not mostly dead. It was dead. Jesus says, you are dead. The looks of the church and the appearance and the reputation were all obviously very deceiving. Because Jesus saw past their reputation, didn't he? Jesus looked very closely at the tree. And he knew that the branches were no longer producing fruit. He knew that the trunk was dead. He knew that the bark was falling off. He, he knew up close and intimately that the church had no pulse despite what the church itself and everybody else thought. Now, no one there would have said that, well, our church is dead. It's just awful. It's dead. They would have all said, hey, we're pretty, pretty good here. They were comfortable. But you know what? They were comfortably dead. Comfortable has a way of slowly but surely killing us, as it does to many churches and people in our world today. And I think that's what we've got to be careful with as we look at this from a church standpoint. We've got to be careful to make sure that if the shoe ever fits, that we put it on. That our reputation is not what we go on, but we truly go on, what is God doing here? What would Jesus have to say about our church at Elm Grove? You realize our reputation in the community is actually pretty good. I mean, everybody that I talk to and, oh yeah, I know Elm Grove, you know that little church down there just past the cemetery on the way? Yep, that church. Well, I know somebody that goes to that church. Man, good, good, good folks. Reputation of community is pretty good. We feel pretty good about our church here, don't we? Now listen, we're not, we're not supposed to be proud, okay? We understand, you know, pride, you know, cometh before a fall, as the King James said. But I mean, you, you probably, if you've been here for any length of time, you say, you know, I appreciate my church. I, I really, I really do. And if I'm honest, I say, man, I, I you know, I, I, there are things, of course, that I'd change in any church that I went to. But, you know, I mean, I really do appreciate my church. I, I, I like it. And that's where we got to be careful. Because when we have such a reputation, guess what we run the risk of going on the reputation, right? When the tree looks okay from a distance, we're unwilling to examine it up close. Why? Because there's a swing in it that our kids used to be on. 
I don't want to do anything with that. You get too close, and boy, it starts to hurt a little bit. We can easily think that we are alive as a church and alive as individuals, and we can go for quite a while appearing to be alive. Paul did this, as a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul. He wrote about it in Philippians chapter 3. You just want to write down the reference, you go back and look at it. Philippians 3, Paul lays out everything that he thought was so great about his previous life apart from Christ. He thought he was alive spiritually. And he listed all these things that he did and his education and, and the way that he followed the law and so on and so forth. But he realized he was dead spiritually. We can appear to be alive, but inwardly be dead. Now, Jesus is going to go on, and he's going to tell them some things they need to do. And from that, from, I, I, I've kind of inferred from that, and we'll, we'll get to exactly what he said. But I've inferred three ways, three categories that, that kind of, I, that, that I guess, uh, identify ways that, that churches can die. So I want to give you those quickly, and then we're going to kind of remedy the situation. How can they live again? And then kind of what do, what do we do? So listen, if you are a part of our church on a regular basis, I really do expect you to pay close attention. Uh, and, and, and help us with this. Uh, if you are, if you are from a different church and you say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know. See what Jesus might have to say to you, to your church, wherever you may be. So three things from verses two and three, and we'll get to those very specifically in just a minute, but three categories here that churches lack that I believe can lead to, to church death. The first is a lack of vision, a lack of vision. Instead of vision, instead of seeing what is possible, what God wants to do, instead of seeing, you know, tomorrow, and here's what God wants to do afresh and anew each day, what we do instead is we go on nostalgia, we go on stubbornness, we go on busyness, things like that. We lack vision. In many churches, nostalgia rules. We long for the good old days, whatever those good old days might have been for you. You know, my good old days, by the way, were in the 1990s. Those are my good old days. I was in high school. Man, it was incredible. My youth group was so wonderful. And man, I tell you what, I, even now at 40 years old, I say, you know what? If I can only go back. Man, life was so good back then. It was so incredible. Maybe for you, the good old days were the 1950s or 60s or 70s. You realize that, that if we were really to trace it back... And we truly identified the things that were going on in our lives, in the world, in the church. We probably wouldn't want to go back to the good old days. We say, well, you know, if I'm honest, I would just kind of got caught up in it. Nostalgia can sometimes drive churches and they lack vision. Or it can be stubbornness, complete resistance to change. You ever been a part of a church like that? They, they say they want the church to grow. And you know what they really mean? They just don't want it to die. That's what they mean. As long as there's enough people to pay the bills and keep the lights on and that kind of stuff. And, you know, they would rather, literally would rather die, the church, they would rather the church die than to change anything. And so, man, they, that, well, that carpet that was great in 1972 is still there. They don't change nothing, nothing, no matter what it is. We're not talking about just music styles or, or dress or anything like that. They won't change anything. No, boy, sister so-and-so, she donated that and put that in there, and she paid for that carpet. And, you know, she'd been dead for 35 years. But, you know, I mean, you know how it goes. I'm being facetious, but you know. And, boy, we live on that stuff, and the past becomes the king, and, and we're stubborn because we don't want to change anything. Or we just, it's busyness instead of vision. We're just busy doing a lot of things, just trying to be good people, just trying to make the world a little better place. And so we're busy doing good things and not gospel things. We lack vision. Or maybe we have a vision of the wrong things, focused on our own needs and inward focus. 
And so ultimately there becomes no vision of what, of who God is and what God wants to do. Maybe we'd be scared of that anyway. I don't know if I really want God to start moving in our church. It might mess things up. <laughs> I mean, think about that. But this and people have that mentality. I don't know, boy. I tell you what, if we started really to see God do something, there there might be some new people show up, and I ain't sure about that. I'm not good with names anyway, and I just, you know. I mean, listen, and you don't have to be old to think like that, by the way. I ain't picking on old people this morning. You ain't got to be old. You just got to have been around a while. We can have a vision of the wrong things and become self-preservers in a fortress up on top of the 1,500-foot cliff that we don't want anybody to break into. Jesus had words for them. Secondly, there is a lack of vigilance. A lack of vigilance. Good luck guessing the third one, by the way. They all start with V-I, so you know, you get first two letters. A lack of vigilance. There's very little sacrifice in a church that is dying. There's very little prayer together, vigilant, to say we've got to keep watch. We've got to make sure that we, that we don't fall into these traps. There's very little intentional outreach. Or what outreach is done is just by a handful of people, and they're kind of weird because they, you know, they, they don't mind talking to people about church. There's very little inviting of unchurched friends. There's very little hard work in a church that's dying. And it starts at the top, I'll be honest with you. You may think that I'm preaching at you or something this morning, and it's certainly not the case. Because I was convicted all week long by this. Do I have a strong sense of vigilance or do I lack it? Am I the one who's leading it? Starts at the top. In a church that lacks vigilance, they always take the path of least resistance. They, they're averse to conflict, even when conflict would be helpful and necessary. We have a differing opinion. Let's talk that out. No, 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 boy, somebody disagrees. Let's just shut everything down. See what I'm saying? They're not paying attention to these kinds of things. And the assumption is, at Sardis, and it can be here, that everything is going to be fine. Nothing to worry about. We're protected. Everything's good. And there's a lack of vigilance, and they're drifting without knowing it. And thirdly, thirdly, you ready for this one? Some of you, did you try to guess already? Just get, just get ready to cross it out. I guarantee you. If you Listen, I'll be honest with you. If you get this, don't lie. But you can raise your hand. All right? I'll give you a special treat or so. I'll take you out to lunch this week if you get this. There's a lack of vibrancy. Anybody? Anybody? Hey, Ben got it. He's got it in the back, right? He's already got it on the screen. Way to go. Good stuff. Lack of vibrancy. I told you wouldn't get it. You know? There's no vibrancy in prayer. There's no vibrancy in worship. And everything in a, in a dying church is kind of muted. It's just all under control. And in fact, it's just boring. It's just boring. It's a boring place to be. Well, we just, we take our worship seriously. Really? <laughs> oh, no, you don't. You're just boring. You know, let's be honest. You know, you never smile at church. You know, we just, you know, we, God is a holy God and we're going to be holy right here. And you know, you're just boring. I mean, let's be honest. You know, you're just boring. You don't, you don't understand God, a God of joy, a God of peace, a God, a God of creation. You don't understand him. And so we're just very serious here at our church. No. There's no vibrancy. There's no excitement. I'm not talking about manufactured excitement that we come in and we do crazy stuff just to pump everybody up. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a true spiritual vibrancy that we cannot wait to get together with our Christian brothers and sisters. And whatever song it is that we're singing, it doesn't matter if it's my song from way back, if it's a brand new song, if it's played in a certain way, a different way, whatever. I cannot wait to get together and be with my brothers and sisters in Christ and share in that spirit of worship. 
That's what church ought to be. I don't care what kind of music you play. I don't care which songs you sing. I don't care what your building looks like, what you wear or not wear to church. It doesn't make any difference. Do we have vibrancy in our spirits that resonate with each other and say, I can't wait to get together. I can't wait to worship the Lord together with all of my Christian brothers and sisters. Or do we stand there and be holy? Garbage, I'm telling you. Sometimes churches, they're vibrant over the wrong things. They get more exciting about the building and the facilities and, and all that stuff than they do about truly being together and worshiping the Lord, praying together and looking after one another and studying the Bible together and so on. There's no vibrancy, no excitement, no passion for the Lord, no passion for making disciples in a church that is dying. They're just comfortable sitting on top of the hill, feeling as if everything is exactly the way it should be, that they know it's, you know, they know how it should be. As if nothing can really go wrong. And Jesus says to them, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. And then he gives them the program. Here's what he says, how churches can live again according to Jesus. Look with me at verse 2. Be alert. Some of you may have a different version. But essentially it is, open your eyes. How can we live again? The prayer is, Lord, open our eyes. What do we lack? Vision. So, Lord, open our eyes. He says, be alert. What does that mean? Watch. Pay attention. Open your eyes, folks. Look at what's going on, he says. Open our eyes to Jesus, to what he has done, who he is, what he wants for us as individuals and as a church, to opportunities to reach the community. Open our eyes, Lord, to how we're spending our money and our time and our resources. Lord, open our eyes to what's really going on that we may not want to see. Open our eyes, Lord, to whether disciples are truly being made here or if we're just getting together. Open our eyes, Lord, to see if lives are really being changed by the power of the gospel. I was talking with someone recently, and and I said, you know, you know what I really would love to to see. <laughs> I'd love for the Lord to to open my eyes and 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 open our eyes to see is how in our community, and literally just in this east side of Callaway County, starting here, how we can impact and see the Lord lead us to lead our community to very measurable change in several different areas. I would love to see our church through, through different ministries of different folks. We have so many talented, gifted, anointed people that God has called in different areas of life to see how we can bring measurable change in our community relationally, to see people restored. To, to see measurable change emotionally, to see them made whole again, to see people change uh, when it comes to finances and be taught. Here's how that, that you can honor the Lord with this. And ultimately, of course, to see people have measurable change spiritually in their lives as our community begins to be impacted by God's work in and through our church. Lord, open our eyes to how that can happen. And secondly, the prayer is, Lord, strengthen our resolve. Look at verse 2 again. He says, be alert and strengthen what remains, which is what? About to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Strengthen our resolve, our resolve to shore up what is healthy, to not let anything that truly matters deteriorate, to preach and to teach faithfully, to not wait until to, to change until we're desperate, to spend time and resources on kingdom type of things. Lord, strengthen our resolve to be the kind of church that pleases you, to be the kind of person that pleases you. Lord, never to be apathetic. Never to let conflict just simmer under the surface, but Lord, to be resolved that we will be alert and strengthen what remains and to complete the work that you've given us. And thirdly, Lord, increase our urgency. 
Look at verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. The imperatives there. Remember, it's a command. Keep, repent. That's not, hey, you know what, when you get around to it, you know, it might be helpful, just saying, you know, I mean, I'm Jesus, I'm just kind of saying, might be helpful if you'd remember the Word of God, what you've received, what you've heard. You know, it, it, it might be helpful if your church is struggling sometime down the road, whenever that may be, if your church is struggling, it might be helpful to be obedient to that same Word. And, you know, if you find yourselves not obedient, it might be helpful to repent. Just, just saying. That's how Jesus puts it, is it? He says, remember, keep, repent. There's no, no negotiation here. No, no, no. Jesus says, this is what you are to do. You are to have a sense of urgency to remember, to call to mind, to be front of mind with, here's what God has said. We've got an urgency about this. We have to follow God's word. And then to keep it, to be obedient. We've got to know it. We've got to keep it. And then when we go off of it, well, we repent now, not tomorrow. Now, repent. Turn around. There's a sense of urgency in a church that's not dying, and there's no urgency in a church that is dying. And ultimately, ultimately, the prayer, individually, and for us together, and I want to read the last few verses after you write this down, that ultimately the prayer is, Lord, wake us up. Wake us up. Here's what he says. Verse 3. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief. What happened to the, to the city of Sardis twice? Scaling the walls, sneaky people coming in, right? If you are not alert, if you're not watching, I will come like a thief, and you will have no idea at what hour I will come against you. Who's talking? Jesus is. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes. That's they, they've not given over to these things, and they walk with they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the victor, the overcomer, will be dressed in white clothes, a symbol of purity. And I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge him before my Father and before his angels. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, wake us up. Listen, you may be asleep. Dead, if you will, in your own personal life. And the prayer needs to be, Lord, wake me up. God, wake me up at home. I mean, I'm just, I, I'm not doing what I need to do. Lord, I'm not the man, I'm not the woman, I'm not the young person, I'm not the old, I'm not the grandfather, I'm not, I'm not who I need to be. Lord, wake me up right now. And Lord, I will call to mind, I will remember your word. And God, my commitment is to obey your word. And Lord, I repent right now. Now. Not later on, not maybe next week. Right now, Lord, I repent. And Lord, wake me up. They knew all too well what had happened at the city of Sardis. That twice they were not alert and twice they had been taken. And they needed to have that sense of urgency. And that resolve and the vision and so on. And ultimately they just needed to be awakened by the Lord. And my prayer is that every week, day in and day out, that the Lord would constantly wake us up. Wake me up. Wake you up. Wake us up. Lord, wake us up. And so the question's just very simply, which of these applies to you today? Is it a lack of vision? You're not seeing the Lord for who He is and you have no particular purpose in life? 
Is it a lack of vigilance that you're just letting things drift and eh, one day, someday I'll get to that? Is it a lack of vibrancy? Lord, you know, there's just no, there's no excitement in my spirit. Lord, there, there's nothing, there's no joy in my life. And so as a result, which prayer is it that you need to pray this morning? Lord, open, open my eyes. Lord, Lord, strengthen my resolve. Lord, increase my urgency. Lord, wake me up. Jesus is in the business of making dead things and dead people live again. We saw a picture of that this morning in baptism. That those who have been buried with Christ are raised again to brand new life. And that one day those who have died in Christ, those who are believers in Him, though they die, they will yet live again forever with Him. What needs to be your prayer this morning? My prayer is that you will surrender all to Him today and be made alive spiritually as you just simply lay yourself at the altar of grace. The altar, the foot of the cross, and say, Lord, save me. Change me totally, totally and utterly. Let's pray together.